All right, well, let's go ahead and take our Bible and turn to James chapter number 2. James chapter number 2, as we continue our series through the book of James, the series title is Faith in Motion, and uh, the title of the message this morning is Faith Works, and there's a lot of different meanings to that, and uh, we'll look at several of them, and uh, we'll... Hopefully you'll understand the reason I chose that particular title for the message today. But uh, James chapter number 2, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 26. And if uh, you would, if you're able to do so, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, out of respect and reverence for the Holy Word of God. This is not just any ordinary book. This is the living, breathing Word of God. And uh, this is a powerful book. We are reading some pretty precious words today. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. The Word of God says this, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac upon, or his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Ye see, ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the holy word of God. This is your word to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what you're saying here and help us to not just be hearers and understanders, but help us to also be doers of the word and to apply this truth to our own individual lives. I pray that you would guide and direct during this time together. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There was a young American engineer. He was sent to Ireland by his company to work in a new electronics plant. It was a two-year assignment that he had accepted because it would enable him to earn enough to marry his longtime girlfriend. She had a job near her home in Tennessee, and their plan was to pool their resources together and put a down payment on a house when he returned from this two-year assignment. Well, they corresponded often, but as the lonely weeks went by, she began expressing doubts that he was being true to her. 
exposed as he was to um, as he was to comely Irish lasses. Uh, there were a lot of uh, pretty Irish girls over there, and so she was starting to have doubts. The young engineer wrote back, though, declaring with some passion that he was paying absolutely no attention to the local girls. He said, I admit that sometimes I'm tempted, but I fight it. I'm keeping myself for you. Well, in the next mail, the engineer received a package, and it contained a note from his girl and an harmonica. He said, she said, I'm sending this to you, she wrote, so that you can learn to play it and have something to take your mind off of those girls. The engineer replied, thanks for the harmonica. I'm practicing on it every night and thinking of you. At the end of his two-year stint, the engineer was transferred back to the company headquarters, and he took the first plane to Tennessee to be reunited with his girl. Her whole family was with her, but as he rushed forward to embrace her, she held up a restraining hand and said sternly, Just hold on there a minute, Billy Bob, before you start hugging on me. I want to hear you play that harmonica. Because you see, talk is cheap. And she wanted to see some proof that he, he really had been playing the harmonica and working on it and saving her himself for her. She wanted some proof. I mean, she could, he could talk all day long about how he kept himself from her, but she wanted to see some proof. You see, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, while it is very personal and uh, internal, it also needs to be proved externally as well. That's what we're going to learn here in this passage. Now, here's one way to ask the question and to bring up this topic that we're going to be looking at this morning. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? If you were placed in front of a jury and we were to bring in witnesses from your life, would they give evidence to the fact that you are indeed a Christian? And that moment, it's not going to matter what you say. It's going to matter what everybody else sees in your life. Is there proof? Is there evidence in your life? That's what James is talking about here. I mean, if they were to bring in your coworkers, what would they say? Would they say, oh, yes, this man is a Christian. I mean, here at work, we get to telling jokes that are inappropriate, a little off color. And, and, that, and that, that man, I know he's a Christian because he always steps aside and he never laughs at those jokes. Would they say that? Um, would your neighbors come to the witness stand and, and when they say, oh, yes, this, this, this person is a Christian, I, I, I never hear them yell in the home. I, I never see them slam the doors and, and get angry at their kids. I, I, I always see them with smiles on their faces. I mean, I'm sure they're not perfect, but yes, there's, there's, there, there's evidence in their lives that point to the fact that they are indeed believers. Could we ask your church family, hey, are they Christians? Well, yes, they are. They're always at church. They're, they're faithful to the services. There's evidence in their life. Or would it be the opposite? Would coworkers say, they're a Christian? I, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, they never talked about it. I've never seen anything that shows that they are. Their neighbors, oh, they're constantly yelling at each other. They're constantly slamming doors. And, 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 and church members, it's like, yeah, they're barely even here. 
What would your life say? Would there really be proof and evidence that would say that you are indeed a Christian? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? I hope the answer is yes. Now, before we really jump into the uh, message today, I do want to cover two very important truths that, are, that, that, that we're going to stay with and, 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 and focus in on as we follow the rest of this passage. The truth number one, according to the Word of God, salvation is by faith alone. Okay, and this passage that we just read can at first glance seem a little confusing regarding uh, along these lines. Because especially in verse number 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. That verse kind of stands out as like, whoa, 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 I thought, that, I thought we were saved by faith alone. And, and the overwhelming majority of the verses in the scriptures regarding this talk about the fact that we are justified by grace but this isn't necessarily having to do with our, our, our justification before God. It's showing others that our faith is genuine. That's what he's saying here when he says you're justified. And not justified before God, but really justified before men. Showing that your faith is legit. It's, it's saying you're the real deal. That's what works says. And that's what, um, when, when it says you're justified by works. Okay, but salvation is by faith alone. And just several verses very quickly this morning to remind us of this truth. Titus chapter number 3 and verse number 5. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's nothing we can do in order to receive salvation. It's everything that He's already done on the cross of Calvary for us. That uh, he already paid the price. He finished, he finished the cost, right? When he said it is finished, he said there's nothing left for you to do. There's no works that you can do in order to reach heaven on your own. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, Paul says in Titus. And then in Romans chapter 11 and verse number 6, this is a little bit of the, what I call the tongue twister in the Bible. Romans eleven six and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Don't you love that verse? <laughs> it's kind of fun to say. It's kind of fun to read. But here's the point of that verse. It's either all of grace or it's all of works. It can't be a mixture of both. And we know that it is by grace. 2 Timothy 1.9 is another reference, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So again, it's, we're, we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith alone. Galatians 2.16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And it seems like, well, isn't that a contradiction to James 2.24? No, again, when you understand that the point is not that we are justified by the works that we do um, before God. God doesn't say, okay, well, you've done enough, so I'm justifying you. No, it's true faith is evidenced in the works that we do. 
And that justifies our faith. That says your faith is legit. That he puts, God's put stamp of approval upon that faith that works. All right, one more reference and one that probably you thought of already. And that is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So no one gets to heaven and says, oh yeah, well I did all of these things. I'm not going to go to heaven and, and uh, you know, see my son Mark there, and I'm like, hey Mark, good to see you in heaven. Glad you're here. But guess what I did to get here? Well, I was a pastor. And then Mark's in heaven, and he's like, oh, yeah? Well, I was a pastor's kid. And that's harder than being a pastor, I promise you that. And I had to have you as my dad, so therefore, and I'm like, okay, good point. You, you got it. You win. Good point. So, look, it's not about going to heaven and bragging about what we did. Everybody in heaven, if we're going to be bragging, we're not going to be bragging about what we did. We're going to be bragging about what he did. We're going to be saying, hey, why are you here? How did you get here? Same way you got here, through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary for me and for you. Same answer. No one's going to go around bragging about what they did to get there. See, so salvation is by faith alone, period. And that's a truth that we need to understand, That especially as we come into this passage, and it can get a little confusing if you're not careful. Salvation is by faith alone, period. Truth number two that I want to mention as we continue on here. Saving faith produces works. So true, genuine, the real deal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to evidence itself in good works. It's just going to happen. It's a natural byproduct. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we already read a moment ago. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then the very next verse, verse number 10, you know what that says? It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Here's the point. No, we're not saved by works. We're saved unto works. We're not saved to sit still and do nothing in our Christian life. We're saved to serve. We're not saved to sit. We're saved to serve. So Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. No, we're not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your... Anybody know the next two words? Good works. Why? So that they can glorify me? No, no, no. They can glorify your Father which is in heaven. So good works is not about me getting attention and me getting accolades and me getting a pat on the back. It's about God getting uh, people having more, more appreciation for who God is. That's the purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How many of you remember, maybe you don't want to remember, kind of like me, geometry in high school? Uh, I remember geometry, and I remember when I was in, um, you know, first through sixth grade, it was like, man, I, I was really enjoying math and doing really, really well with math. Then I get into junior high and, and high school, and all of a sudden, 
math goes from numbers to letters. And I'm like, what, why, are we, why are we playing with X now? And why? And like, what, what, what do these letters have to do with math? I mean, I eventually learned, but at the beginning, I'm like, why? I thought this was not phonics. This is math. Why are we learning letters? And then we get into geometry, and it's like, okay, I'm ready to learn geometry. And then it's all, all these proofs. Remember doing those proofs where you have to, like, be a lawyer in math? I'm like, well, I didn't know I was in law school. You know, I, I just want to learn math. And, but you have to go through these proofs. And if this is true, then this must be true. And on it goes. Do you remember doing those? I do, and not with great fondness. But what James is saying here in this passage, by and large, simply put, he's saying, look, if you have true, real faith, then it's going to produce fruit in your life and works in your life. It's just going to happen. And if there's no fruit and no works, then evidently this isn't legit faith. And that's the kind of proof that he's showing here. It's biblical truth. It's not geometry truth. So it's even more uh, for sure than anything that you learned in school. So here's one, one passage. Let's just do a quick uh, field trip over to Titus chapter number 3. Hold your place here, and James will be right back here in just a couple minutes. Titus chapter number 3, very quickly. Again, I want you to see this principle that, no, we're not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. Verse number 5, I read it a little while ago, but this starts the passage I want to look at. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then notice verse 8, This is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So, no, we're not saved by anything we can do, but once we're saved, we ought to be careful to maintain good works. You see the principle there. The truth is salvation is by faith alone, but the second truth is saving faith produces works. All right? With that in mind, we're going to look here in this passage back in James chapter number 2 at three types of faith mentioned in this passage. And I would dare say that every one of us has one of these types of faith. Which one? Well, I hope that all of us have the right one, and we'll uh, get there in a few minutes here. But let's jump into it today and notice the first type of faith mentioned, and that is spoken faith. Spoken faith. In verse number uh, 14, uh, James says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works. Can faith save him? And he's not saying, can faith save us? Yes, faith can save us. But can the faith that is just, um, just spoken and not ever works backing it up, can that faith save us? No, it's not legitimate, real faith. It's not the real deal. It's not legit. See, people with spoken faith are all talk and no action. Those with spoken faith substitutes words for works. 
when they should be doing something, instead they say something. Because again, notice verse number 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith? I mean, there's a lot of people that I've come in contact through throughout my life who've said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. I love the Lord. But when you look at their life, there's nothing that really backs it up. There's no real evidence. There's no real proof. And that's what James is saying. If a man says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith really save him? And then he goes into this uh, illustration in verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, like they, they need some clothing in a bad way, and they're super hungry, they're going through a tough time, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? He said, you're just all talk and no action. I mean, you know exactly what to say. You've got the Christianese down to a, down to a T. I mean, you're fluent in Christianese. You know all the right things to say at all the right times, but there's no action to back up your, true, your, your faith at all. You just have a spoken faith. They think that, hey, as long as I say the right thing, then that's enough. No, no, no. Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, they've got the right verbiage down, don't they? Lord, Lord, oh, I love the Lord. God says, yeah, but you don't really have sincere faith. There, there's nothing real there. It's just spoken. You just keep talking. Uh, Galatians, Paul said in chapter 6 and verse number 10, because see, as believers, if we are true, sincere believers and have legit faith, then guess what? We're going to want to do good works. We're going to want to help others. And when it comes to helping others, we are called to do that. Galatians 6.10, again, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We are absolutely to, when someone has a need, do what we can to meet that physical need, especially those who are in the faith, in the household of faith. Those of us who are brothers and sisters, look, if you have a, an issue and, and a need and there's, it's within my power to do that, I ought to be willing to meet that need and not just say, well, hey, I'm sorry to hear about your problems, but I hope you go in peace and be warmed and filled. I really hope that somebody meets your need when I fully have the power to help. This thought is mentioned again in 1 John chapter 3. In verse 17, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? John says the same thing. If you see a brother who has needs and you're a need, and you're not willing to meet that need, how dwells the love of God? In other words, that's a fake faith. It's counterfeit. It's not the real deal. And then he goes on to say, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's easy to say something to somebody, Hey, I really hope that God meets your needs. If we're not willing to meet those needs, though, it's just empty words. I was thinking about the, uh, you mentioned the Good Samaritan, I think, last Sunday, and the Levite and the priest in that story. Uh, boy, did they 
have faith. I mean, they knew all the truth, right? But when it came to meeting someone who had a real need, instead of meeting that need, they walked across the street to avoid him. I mean, you may know the doctrine of salvation. You may know, know that Jesus is Lord. But if you've not really submitted to his lordship, then your faith is... Well, I'm just going to use James's words so you don't get mad at me. Verse number 14. I'm sorry, verse number 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. That's what, what the deal is. Warren Worsby said this in his commentary in this passage. He said, no man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same way anymore than he can come into contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. Okay, I think all of us have maybe been shocked before, and, and it, but, but by a 220-volt wire, that's going to really uh, cause some issues there. Um, look, when you come into contact with Christ, when you uh, get really born again, you're going to be a new creature. There's going to be a change. 1 John 5.12 says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So he mentions first spoken faith, and it's counterfeit faith. It's not true salvation. Just saying that you have faith doesn't make it so. I mean, we live in a day where people are saying, Well, I'm, I am now a girl, and everybody needs to call me a girl. And start calling me she, her, and using those pronouns. And if I want to be a cat, you need to start calling me a cat. Now, why anybody would want to be a cat, I do not know. Um, okay, <laughs> Naomi is a big fan of cats. I do know that. Should have never picked on cats here. Scratch that from the notes next time. But, like, we're, we, we, we can say all day, I can say all day long that I identify as a super strong bodybuilder, but that doesn't mean that I am a super strong bodybuilder, okay? I know it's hard for you to imagine that I'm not, but I'm really not. Okay. But you get the idea. You can say all day long that you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but just saying that you do doesn't make it so. So many people, they do. They go around talking about how wonderful of a Christian they are, but there's no works to really back it up at all. There's no evidence. There's no proof. So he says it's dead. Okay, so there's the spoken faith, but there's a second faith mentioned here in verses 18 and 19 through 20 here, and that is satanic faith. What? Yeah. Look at verse number 18. It says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And then he goes on to say, Hey, you believe that there is one God? Thou doest well, but the devils also believe and tremble. See, satanic faith. James now changes course and mentions that the devils or the demons and their faith, because you see, they do believe, they do understand that there is a God. And, and uh, here James is, I'm sure, being pretty sarcastic here when he says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. He's like, good job, congratulations, let's throw this guy a party. He gets a gold star for the day because he believes in God. But before you get too excited, just need to understand something. Devils also believe. But not only do they believe, 
Bible says they also tremble because they understand the future that they are about to encounter at some point down the road. They believe in the truth about who God is. You see, they know the truth, but they haven't submitted to the truth. That's the difference. Maybe you saw, like I did, maybe a... um, well, it was a few weeks ago, there was a, people were talking about a, a, a particular Jeopardy episode when they asked a pretty simple Bible question on this episode. And nobody, the three contestants, nobody got it right, and nobody even attempted to answer it. Here's what the question was. This was way back on, uh, I think, the, the 13th of June. They, cont- they face this question. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father, which art in heaven, this be thy name. So what, what was supposed to be this? It was billed as an easy $200 question on the category of dadgetives, but it still stumped all three contestants who didn't even attempt to answer the question. After a few moments of awkward silence, the host recited the answer saying, Hallowed be thy name. Thank you. I was hoping that most of you would know that one. And it's obviously, you know, people took to social media, bemoaning the fact that our society, you know, we we don't even know basic Bible things anymore. And it's super sad how we've come this far. And and that's absolutely true. But, but, But we here in the Bible Belt of America, in Oklahoma... We know our Bible, don't we? We're not guilty of ignorance. Well, great. But guess what? The devil knows the Bible too. So don't go around bragging and boasting too much about your knowledge of the Word of God because the devil also believes. Don't go around broadcasting how much you know and how bad everybody else is. No, no, no. People do that and they think that that equals real faith. That does not. There was an illustration, a fictitious story of of Satan applying for church membership in a church. The pastor asked the devil, well, do you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ? He says, oh, yes. The Bible is very plain about that. I know he is God's son. All right, well, do you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? The devil responded, yes, I tried to get him to sin many times, but he he never would. So, yes, uh, he lived a sinless life. Well, miracles, do you believe in the miracles of Jesus Christ? Yep, saw each one. Each time a blind person saw, each time someone was healed, I was there. I got angry because I knew I had lost another victim. Well, what about the substitutionary atonement on the cross? Do you believe in that? Well, I... I witnessed each act, and I heard each cry that he made, and I was really hoping that that would be the end. Oh, do you believe in the physical resurrection? Sadly, I do. I mean, I did my best to keep him in the tomb, and, 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 and yet I saw it when he came out of that grave in resurrection glory, but yes, he physically resurrected from the grave. I, it's true. See, when it comes to all of those doctrinal questions, Satan has all the right answers. 
Uh, see, but, but, but is he going to heaven? No, no, no. We know that the, the devil and the angels are headed for the lake of fire that was prepared for them. We, we know that that's their future. We know that they're not going to heaven. But I believe all those things. Why am I getting to get to go to heaven? What, what's the difference? Because you see, salvation is more than just a mental assent to doctrinal truth and what the Word of God says about Christ. It's a submission. It's a receiving of Him. John 1 verse 12 says this, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. You've got to receive Him. See, the devils have rejected Him. The, the demons have rejected Him. That's why they followed Satan out of heaven. A third of them did. Instead of receiving the Lord, they rejected him. And, and the difference between us and, and the devils is we have the opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you received the Lord Jesus? It's not just enough to know the fact that Jesus is God and that he lived a sinless life and that he died on the cross. And it, those are important and necessary, yes, but it's more than that. Have you believed on him? Are you trusting in him and him alone for your salvation? See, to become a Christian, you must be willing to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord and your Master. See, there's something more that the devil doesn't have, and, and there's something more that sadly some Baptists don't have as a true and genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just head knowledge, but a real relationship that produces works. You may say, well, look, I was raised in a Christian home. My daddy was a pastor. My granddad was a pastor. My granddad before him was a pastor. And I believe every word of this Bible from cover to cover. But has there been a time when you personally came as a lost sinner, personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Have you been born again? I'm not asking what you know. The devils know. Do you know him? I'm not asking what you know. I'm asking who you know. See, I'm convinced that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. And perhaps you've heard this too. You see, they know about God up here. but They don't know about the Lord Jesus Christ here. They have not believed in their heart. Romans 10.9 says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That's the spoken part. Everybody's pretty good at that part. But then here's the really important part. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So it's not just mental knowledge of the gospel. It's a belief in the heart. And so if you know it up here, but you don't know it here, my friend, you're going to come about 18 inches short. And that is super sad that you know it, but you've never submitted to it. I hope that today you'll make that choice to be born again. See, saving faith is more than just head knowledge. Just knowing about God and the truth of who he is sadly is not enough. You must place your faith in him. The demons could win a Bible trivia game against most people, and yet their future home is in the lake of fire. So there's spoken faith, there's satanic faith, but praise the Lord, there's thirdly, saving faith. Saving faith. Now again, the legitimate saving faith produces works. We're not saved by works. There's no way we can earn our way to heaven. There's no way. We're sinful. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing we can do. 
We need Jesus Christ to completely save us, but once we're saved, that faith in Him produces true works. And we see that in the end of this passage here. In verse number 20, he says, Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? So he finally gives us saving faith. And, and, and I want to just give you real quickly two examples that he gives in this passage. First, he gives Abraham the Hebrew. And I don't, obviously, each of these people can be a full sermon in themselves. So I'm just going to have to wrap it up here very quickly. But he says in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? And you might think, there it is. He had to do that in order to be saved. He had to be willing to sacrifice his son on the altar. And then he was saved at that point. No, 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 no. If you keep reading. In verse number 22, Seest thou faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. See, verse 23 is pointing all the way back to Genesis 15. When God said, hey, I want you to look up into the night sky, and I want you to count the numbers of the stars, and I want you to recognize that as, as you see all those stars up there, so shall your seed be. And the next verse says, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness. That was the moment that Abraham's faith was placed in the Lord. That was his moment of salvation. But then it was what James calls here perfected or proved or displayed or demonstrated when God later in chapter 22 asked Abraham to take his only son Isaac and take him up to Mount Moriah and there sacrifice him as an offering unto the Lord. And, and as Abraham takes that knife and, and is about ready to plunge it deep into his son and, and take his life, God says, Abraham, Abraham, and stills his hand and, and shows him the ram caught in the thicket. But that moment there is when God said, okay, though that work right there shows that his faith was legit, was the real deal. That it wasn't just something private and internal, but it became something public and external when he was willing to do that. So he uses Abraham the Hebrew to prove that, look, saving faith always results in works. And the work that Abraham's faith produced was obedience to God when asked to sacrifice what was most important to him. See, that's saving faith, my friend. When you're willing to give up what's most important to you, to the Lord, that's saving faith. Again, that's not how he was saved but because he was saved, it was true and evident in the works that he did. Now, can I ask you, if you have saving faith, are you also willing to sacrifice what's most important to you? I know most of us would be pretty pious and say, well, God's most important to me, and I would never be willing to sacrifice him. Okay, I understand that. But let's take the things on this earth that are important to us, 
such as our family. And no doubt that it was difficult for Abraham to take that knife, and I'm sure there were tears, and I'm sure there was heartache as he was about ready to take his son's life that he loved so much, and that he knew God had promised that, and, and it was got to be difficult. But he was willing to give up what was most important. Are you willing to give up your family? Some of you have. You've had to make some hard choices and choose the Lord over your family. That, that, that's saving faith. That's, those are works that show that you have legitimate faith. Are you willing to sacrifice your finances for the Lord's sake? I mean, well, look, I don't get enough anyway, and so like, it's all I can do to scrape by with what I have and to, honor, to, to give a 10%. That's just beyond what I can even think. Are you willing to sacrifice what's most important to you for the Lord's sake? Abraham was. And saving faith is willing to give up what's most important. What about your friends, teenagers? The friends that perhaps are not the best influence in your life. Oh, but they're important to me and I enjoy their friendship and, and I don't want to just be by myself. And Are you willing to give them up for the Lord's sake? What about your future? Again, to teenagers. Oh, I've got plans, man. I know what I want to do when I grow up. Here's all the things that I'm going to do. Are you willing to give those things up for the Lord's sake? Saving faith is willing to say, I'm willing to take whatever's most important to me, put it on an altar, take a knife to it, and say, I'm not saying, you know, Mark is like, I don't really like my family, so, or my family is most important to me, so I'm going to take my family and... Pfft. No, I'm not saying that. Not in a literal sense, okay? But in a, in, a, in a real sense where we're willing to sacrifice those things and do without so that we can instead please the Lord. What about your fun? I've got to have my fun. I've got to have the things that I like to do. But when it contradicts the Word of God and it contradicts the will of God, are we willing to sacrifice those things for the Lord's sake? Abraham the Hebrew he had real saving faith, and he was willing to sacrifice what was most important to him. I hope you do too. Example number two, very quickly, is Rahab the harlot. And he mentions her in verse number 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. So he points to another uh, individual in the Old Testament, Rahab, and she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. She did not necessarily, I mean, you would think, why is she in this list? I, I think he's pulling from people who would really strike a chord with the readers here. And, and Rahab the harlot was one that would be like, whoa, she was justified by works? Yes. Now, she had heard, of course, that uh, she was there in Jericho before Jericho went tumbling, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Most of us know that, that song and that story in the book of Joshua. Well, before they came around and did all of that, God, Joshua, if you remember, sent two spies to, uh, to Jericho to do a little reconnaissance mission, kind of survey the scene and all of that. These two spies went in, and, and uh, Rahab the harlot knew about these spies, welcomed them into her home, and she knew about the God that they served. When you read the book of Judges, I think in chapter number 2, she says, Hey, look, I, I, I've heard about the Lord, and she calls them, she calls him the Lord. Evidently, there was, she had heard about all that God was doing through this nation of Israel. 
and the conquests that were going on. And, and, and she submitted herself and believed in the Lord herself and was willing then to help these individuals, thereby committing treason against the people that she knew, putting her life at great risk. And well, we all know the rest of the story, right? You see, as a result of that, she and her family were rescued from destruction. And once Jericho fell, she, uh, she and her family were saved because of that scarlet thread that they let, she let them down the wall. Remember that? And then that was going to be the sign that that's where Rahab and her family was, and, 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 and they were saved. All right, well, Rahab went on to marry one of the Lord's people. And named Salmon. And one commentator believes that Salmon was one of the two spies that came to visit her that one day. Now, it could be. That would obviously make for a wonderful Hallmark story, wouldn't it? Um, but the point is, her marriage to Salmon would lead to the birth of a little boy named Boaz. Boaz would go on to marry Ruth, who gave birth to Obed. Obed and his wife had a son named Jesse who had several boys. One of them was a young man named David. So Rahab's saving faith produced works that led her to become the great-great-grandmother of King David and thereby putting her in the lineage of the Messiah himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read Matthew chapter number 1, you'll see Rahab's name mentioned there. See, it was legitimate faith. She was willing to turn her back on the world and the pleasures and the safety and the security that this world offers for the Lord's sake. Are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to turn your back on the world's pleasures and possessions in order to follow the Lord? Rahab was. She was willing to put those things aside to say, hey, I'm the Lord's child. See, that's saving faith, my friend. That's real saving faith. Let's wrap it up here with verse number 26. James chapter 2, verse 26. He wraps this up and summarizes this whole passage here with, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. By the way, this is the third time in this passage that James has said, Faith without works is dead. He's trying to get the point across. I mean, one time would be enough, but three times, I mean, there's, there's repetition to emphasize this particular thought. The faith without works is dead, and so he now uses a human body. Now, how many of you, this is kind of morbid right before lunch here, but how many of you have ever seen a dead body? Would you raise your hand? Most of us have. And it's not a pleasant sight. I mean, the body is there, but the spirit is totally gone, and the body is just a shell. James says here that our faith without works is just an empty shell. It's dead. So is your faith dead? Is it just simply spoken, you just keep talking the talk? Or is it just head knowledge? Hey, I know all the truth. I know a lot of Bible facts. Wonderful. Have you sincerely and truly believed? Do you have saving faith? If you do, it's going to be, it's going to produce works. 
Salvation is by faith alone, but saving faith always produces works. So again, back to the question that I asked at the beginning of the message, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I hope the answer is yes. If not, maybe you need to ask the question, do I really have saving faith, or have I just had spoken faith? Or have I just had satanic faith even? Knowing all these things, but never really submitting to them. I wonder what will you have this morning. Obviously, saving faith is the only one that gets anyone forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven, and a relationship with God the Father. That's the only way. If there's no works, no evidence, no proof in your life, you need to ask yourself the question, why? Why not? Maybe I'm not really a believer. Maybe I've been playing the part. I can't tell you how many times I've heard in my ministry about from Christians who said, yeah, I made a profession of faith, but I did not really possess faith. God's not looking for professors of faith because at the beginning of the passage, if a man say he have faith, if that's somebody who's professing they have faith. God's not looking for a professing Christian. He's looking for a possessor Christian. Do you possess faith? Do you possess the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, today's the day to take care of that. Today's the day to make sure. For those of us who have, let's thank God for our salvation. And let's also go and maintain, be careful to maintain good works. And to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Let's go and do that. Let's look for opportunities to serve the Lord. Let's look for opportunities to be a blessing to others. Let's look for an opportunity to uh, follow the Lord in spite of the world. Let's go and live saving faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to look into this very powerful passage of Scripture. Lord, James was really trying to get across something very important. Lord, I pray that we would get the message today. That yes, salvation is by faith alone, but, but saving faith produces works.